This episode of the pod's proudly brought to you by JBEC Mechanical Repairs. With the ever-rising cost of living, we're all looking for ways to save a few bucks so you can spend it in the areas that you love. One area JBEC can help you is with the rising cost of fuel prices, why not remap your vehicle to gain more power and better fuel economy through their chip tuning service? Chip tuning can be done on many vehicles, including various trucks and tractors, and conditions apply. With over 30 years combined experience in small engine cars and diesel engines, Jade and his team are qualified in both diesel and petrol vehicles. They offer a mobile field service unit including breakdown services, all mechanical repairs, engine rebuilds as well as aircon and auto electrical services. To find out more, just find JBEC Mechanical Repairs on Facebook, email jbeckinvestments at gmail.com or call or text 0492 594 058. Tell them Brendan sent you for a free cuddle and trust me that's better than a handshake because Jade's fingers will crush you. JBEC Mechanical Repairs, offering chip tuning. Unleash the power within. On this week's pod, local legend Justin Gossage, or to anyone who knows him, Gosso. Gosso joins the pod to speak about his journey through life and its challenges. None more so than giving up alcohol after years of drinking as it was having major impacts on his life. He speaks about the challenges of growing up in a single parent housing commission household and how the pressures of expectation at a young age led to mental health issues and how alcohol and cigarettes became an escape from this. We speak about his fear of rejection through his experiences and how meeting his real father was a major factor in his life. Gosso gives a great insight into the moment he decided he needed help to overcome his demons and I think it's important to note for anyone out there wanting to make a change he speaks also about how his friends and community reacted to this and how important their support was. Anyone who knows Gosso knows how passionate he is about sports and running in particular so of course we have a great chat about how life is now and how important the running community is, not just to him, but to the wider community. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the Talk Hard Podcast. I'm Jake. I'm Briley. I'm Sonny. We hope you enjoy today's episode. I've got half an opportunity here. I'm going to take it this time. (laughs) (laughs) He sat there for two songs and he goes, he likes to shit up and then he left. When I die, I want everyone (laughs) to have shots and I want you to use my coffin as the bar. I collapsed and, and they couldn't find a heartbeat for a couple of minutes. I would give everything, anything that I've got right now to hear my mum sing again. I could just go into the house and fucking do it and no one would care, but people do care. He said, thank you for saving me life. The Talk Art Podcast with Brendan Hinkson. Oh, mate, it doesn't uh, get much bigger than this. <laughs> Gosso, welcome to the Talk Art Podcast, mate. Hey, thanks, mate. Appreciate it. No worries at all, mate. Pleasure having you. Um, I was going to introduce you as Justin Gossage, but I don't know that many people would know you is that <laughs> not many at all around the devonport community i can still actually bump into people and and use my name justin and it surprises them yeah so. um mate it's really good to have you on um like i said um like i was saying to you when we were trying to organize to, to get you on you're a tricky man to get hold of at the moment because you you're so bloody busy when you told me um the amount of traveling that you do you're all over the place i actually thought we laughed about it but i thought you were a pilot but <laughs> you're um you're the area area manager for for bcf in yes. this area yep so i do um, Tasmania and East Victoria. Um, since the borders have opened, it's yep. been a pretty busy couple of months, to be honest. So I think I've done 20 trips to Melbourne already this year, and wow. we're in August. So yep. a lot uh, of frequent flyers. Yeah, hopefully I can get enough to get to LA one day. <laughs> That'd be awesome. And you, you've had a fair bit of success in your in your role. You've won a few awards and stuff. You told me. Is that yeah. Right? So I've been with the company Super Retail Group since 2011. Yep. Started off at Super Cheap. Um, Daniel Crabtree took me on as a, an assistant manager. We, we used to work at Woolies many years ago together. Yep. 
um, I stepped up as a manager at Super Cheap, and then uh, when we were bringing Ray's outdoors to to Tassie, um, I really wanted to jump on the leisure because that was more me. Yep. I still can open up a, a car and couldn't tell you where, you know what a carburetor is. So, <laughs> um, so when we got race, um, the first couple of years we actually won race store of the year for Australia, beautiful, um, which was excellent. Yep. Uh, we went through some change management and converted all our race stores to BCF. Yep. Um, I, I was very lucky to keep the crew that I had. I had a really strong crew, um, and we continued to develop um, the BCF in Devonport. And in about 2017, we won store of the year for for BCF Australia. So. Excellent. For a little town, um, they jump on board, you know, big multinationals that, that want to be here. Yep. Um, we find that the customer, you know, they really strive. If you strive for that customer, um, they'll come back and see you. Yep. So are those um, awards, are they based on your turnover or are they based on customer feedback or how does that work? So it can be a couple of KPIs based. So yep. it can be sales, yep. um, obviously controlling budgets as part of it. Um, NPS or customer satisfaction is a huge component of it as well. Yep. Um, plus as well as store, store standards and really team engagement. Um, I, I don't think any business can go well, um, especially in regional, if you don't have great team engagement. Yep. You gotta have a good team around you. Oh, absolutely. You yep. know, I, I see metro stores and I, I, I work regional stores from Bansdale to to obviously down the Hobart way. Um, and there is a different different vibe in our regional stores because the customer connection's a lot closer. Yeah. Because you know Uncle Uncle Bob and Auntie Jill, <laughs> they pop in and see everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Well, like I said, I'm, I'm glad that we got you in because I think you're flying out somewhere tomorrow, aren't you? Yeah, I think I'm Melbourne the next two days, then yep. Hobart at the end of the week, and then the Gold Coast the week after. Yeah, yeah. well, at least you get up to a bit of warmer weather. That'll be nice. <laughs> Kids aren't happy. No, I don't reckon. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I said, mate, it's a, a real thrill to have you on. Um, I, I feel like I know you already. I know that we haven't met before. Well, we actually have, which I'm going to go into a bit bit later on briefly. But um, so many people said to get you on, um, which which it, it's one of the great things about the podcast too. When I put the call out for people, they said, you know, you got to get Gosso on. I think a lot of people say you need to get Gosso on. He's got a really good story. Pretty chuffed, to be honest, that a few people have sort of reached out to you in that spot. So... Yeah, keen, keen to have a chat. Awesome, mate. So anyone who listens to the podcast obviously knows, um, you know, we, we go through people's stories. So we'll go back to the start for you. So you're a Devonport boy? Yeah, so I've, um, I've lived all my life in Devonport. Yep. Um, I, I grew up, uh, I suppose, um, single parent. Um, Mum raised me and my, my sister. Yep. Um, we sort of, uh, we lived around a little place called Jared Court. Yep. Um, in a, Danny in a, Hillcrest. Danny Hillcrest, yep. 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 In a housing commission home, and we've sort of, uh, we were there for a fair few years, but moved there and through to another place, Chelanook, near yep. Morris Avenue. Um, so I've always been a local lad. Um, you know, I grew up in the late 80s, early 90s. Things weren't easy for families back then. I mean, they're not easy now either. Um, but, but coming from that single family, I suppose, I always had that yearning of... Um, trying to do better for myself yep yep um i know um when i reflect on that time now um mum mum worked a absolute backside off to try and give us everything that we wanted yep and you look back and you go you know how did you do that because you know with everything that was going on in her life um yeah she gave it a good crack yep can, can you elaborate on what was sort of going on at the time? Or? Yeah, I, I suppose when I, when I grew up, um, you know, um, mum worked um, fairly constantly through through the pubs. Yep. Um, that's that's where she got. She didn't have a really, she she had a really crap upbringing. Um, she she got fostered out. 
Um, her father had committed suicide um, and she had a lot of other, I suppose, demons in the background, which really affected her. Um, and that's something that, you know, I reflect on now and go, you know, she, she was very strong in how, how she had to handle that and us. Yep. And, you know, we sometimes, when we get older, and, you know, we look at our parents and we, we can be quite critical. Yeah. Um, we go through that stage where, you know, when we're kids, we idolize them. And then when we, as we start to get older, we challenge them. And, mm. and I, I'm at the age now where I look and go, well, I remember this, where mum was when she was 41, 42. And, you know, from, from a mental point of view, she wasn't in a really good space. And it wasn't like today where there was, a, there was people that would help you or that you could talk out in the community as much as what we do these days yep. um, so from, from that perspective you know she may I suppose that set her on a path that sort of um, wasn't too crash hot for her yep. um, and being a, in a single parent family I sort of picked up a fair bit of the slack coming into my teenage years to help bring up my, my sister yep. um, and, and how, old, to, how much younger was your sister? Uh, she's about five years younger Okay. Yep. Um, so and for me when now that I, I, you know, again, this has been a really good opportunity to reflect, you know, a lot of those habits or behaviors that I have nowadays or, um, you know, adequacy is probably coming back from that, that time frame. Yep. And that's something that, you know, we, we've just got to grow from. Yep. There is something to be said from having a, I suppose for lack of a better word, a tougher upbringing where you had to sort of to go without. And there's so many stories of people, some of the most successful people in the world come from come from those backgrounds because you you seem to you grow up hungry, don't you? You sort of want to get out of that situation and Yeah, you do. And and you look back and I remember sitting back, you know, when you start to to listen to the news and politics and, and they're saying, you know, the poverty line is this dollar figure and I go Oh, I know we know we're near that. Yeah. How how does mum put bread on the table? You know. Yep. And we never went without. Yep. So, I, I, I yeah I, I do now reflect on that and go yeah, you know we we're probably lucky that we did have the upbringing that we had to that degree. Yep. Some of the other stuff, um, there's so much mental um, awareness these days that we didn't have back then. Yeah. And I think, you know, I just go, geez, if we only it was twenty years later. Yeah, I think it would have made her life a lot easier. Yep. 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 So you didn't sort of see any signs when you were a kid that your mum was sort of struggling a little bit mentally or Um yeah, I did and um I I know she did. Um and she she sought help, but I think again, the community that we lived in is is completely different now. And it's the stuff that happens in the past that catches up with you that you that really impact. So I personally now go, I can see some of those traits in myself. Yep. And I've, I've had those struggles as well. Yep. And I know that it's not always, people go nature and nurture. Yeah. Yep. And that's a hard one because I, I believe a lot of it is nature. Yeah. A yep. lot of it is, it's inbuilt in us. Yep. And it's something that I talk about now and go, if I look at a lot of my family members and there's been some suicides, there's been family members that have you know struggled um throughout their lives that a lot of that can probably be put back to you know not just nurture but nature yeah yeah Yeah. and and you said obviously we'll we'll talk a little bit about your struggles over the journey but can you remember as a kid any of those things sort of starting to manifest then can you can you think 
of a time when you sort of felt that way as a child at all? Yeah, I always had high anxiety as right. a kid. Yep. So you know, I'd have um, panic attacks. Yep. When I was in, in primary school, I had a couple of panic attacks. Yep. I think for me, it was really when I hit those stra- teenage years. So when I, when I was about 15, 16, 17, those pressures that I'd felt growing up, they really started to impact me. Yep. And that was, that was when I started to notice a change in my own behaviours. So, you know, being angry all the time, um, not, not communicating very well, probably also um, putting myself on the outer Yep. 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 So you distance yourself from people. Yep. Was that just for protection? Was it to protect yourself? Or? Yeah. I think I also. I think I was just. I didn't want to be rejected. Yep. 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 So, um, just going back to when you were a kid having those panic attacks. Can you remember what brought them on? Was there any particular instances? Or? Yeah. One particular one was just a test in. Um, I remember in grade six. Yep. I was doing a, a mass test and I, I couldn't get it. I just couldn't get it. The brain just did not did not correlate and. Then bang, panic attack. Yep. Because I thought I was letting someone down. Right. Yep. yep. So I thought I was letting my teacher at the time down or I was letting someone down. Yep. And that's where I find anxiety really hits me. And that's when I close off because, you know, it's that it's not failure, but it's letting others down. Yeah. That really plagued me. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever sort of talk to your mum at all about your anxiety as a kid? Or uh, no, not really. I, again, it was something I closed off, yeah. and um, there was a couple of times where I know mum pulled me up and she said, "Hey, you know, you don't seem yourself. Are you okay?" And you just brush it off and go, "Yeah, I'm fine." Yeah. But you weren't. You know, you weren't, and I know I wasn't. But yeah. it was something that I wouldn't probably talk to her about. And, yeah. And again that's probably a protection mode she didn't need to know how i was yep 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 um obviously a big part of your story which we'll get into later on is your um, athletics and sports and running which i know that you love now were you sort of a sporty kid at all were you into anything like that or i i did um i did do martial arts through um Kai back in uh the late i suppose late high school so grades eight nine and ten um, I, I used to do it with uh, Andrew Mangay um, and uh, his wife at the time, which was Angela Lomax. And, you know, I got real satisfaction out of that. I got yep. satisfaction out of um, the pain side of it. I loved pushing the boundaries of my own limits right. at that age. Yep. Um, and, and I was relatively successful. Like I picked up a few awards through Australia, um, through Tasmania and and actually I think even had a, a large ride up one day in the advocate which was quite embarrassing when we were in grade <laughs> 9, 10 good um, going to school your mates be stirring you up exactly yeah. so uh, no I really uh, that was about all I did it was really individual uh, I'll be honest I, I was I, I loved basketball I was totally crap at it um, I, I did do a bit of cross country yep but by the time I got to grade 8 I was already smoking yep and that was that certainly impacted that whole um, you know the the cardio side of it because yep. I remember it might have been grade grade nine I was like I got to fourth or fifth at the northwest and then top twenty for for state um, cross country yeah um, but the the year after I was already on the wrong wrong tracks with um, smoking and yeah there was no way that I was going to be any competitive in that space yeah do you remember why you got into smoking and stuff was it just what the cool kids were doing or um. I suppose I'd, I'd been around cigarette smokes all my life. Yep. Um, m- mum smoked, you know, 
everyone that was in the social network at some stage smoked. Yep. Um, and it was something that I just picked up. When I was a kid, I hated it. Yep. I absolutely hated it. Come to the teenage years and um, a couple of friends obviously smoked. Um, and yeah, that just it led from there. Mm. Yeah. It was a bit of a cultural thing back then, wasn't it? Everyone was sort of doing it. It was. And, and the legal age for smoking was 16. Yep. So, you know, having a cigarette at 14 wasn't seen as uncommon. Yeah. Whereas nowadays, if you saw a 14-year-old with a cigarette, you'd just be like, oh my God. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, you, you could buy a packet quite comfortably at that 14, 15-year-old mark. No dramas. Yep. Um, and just in our um, our conversations previously, you said that you were living independently at about 15 years old. Yeah, That's so... so young, isn't it? Yeah, so um, mum, mum took a job up in Launceston. I lived with a, a friend for a little bit. Yep. Um, my sister sort of, she, she shot off and spent some time with her dad. And mum decided to move to Queensland. And I wasn't having a bar of it. I just, there was no way that was, that I wasn't, wasn't doing it. So I ended up staying in Tassie and and mum and my sister left um I lived with a friend for a little bit and as with any relationship when you start to live in someone's house you know you're good friends outside but Mm. when you start to come inside (laughs) um so that sort of started to fall apart which is you know perfectly understandable um I sort of shifted around a couple of places in Alveston for a few months and then uh, I ended up going into a, a unit I think by about the middle of Don College, maybe it would have been Don College. Yeah. By that stage, so because Mum had been basically living out of Launceston and I'd been in Devonport, I'd pretty much been independent from about fifteen. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember? Obviously, such a big part of your story, which we will talk about, is um, alcohol and drinking. What sort of age did you get into that sort of stuff? At? Yeah. Look, I, I honestly, when I look back, you know, we always had a tipple as a young young kid, but that was part of life. Yep. But when I started. Probably about grade ten, I started to have you know a good drink. Yep. So we'd you know speaking at a school, but we'd play footy at school. You know, school footy on a Saturday, there'd be half a dozen of us hitting hitting the grog after. Yep. And I, you know, looking back, I can't stop. Yeah. I couldn't stop. So I I'd drink if there's a bottle of Jack Daniels, I, I could drink that bottle of Jack Daniels. Yep. That would that would be me. Yep. Yep. Do you remember, like, when you had your first drink? Could you remember how it made you feel? And as being an anxious sort of kid, did it have yeah. sort of benefits in that regard? Or? Yeah, look, you know, from from the, the culture that I had about drinking was, yeah, there was some nerves that disappeared and you, you were a different person. Yeah. Completely different person. Very common story. Yep. So, you know, I could have... There was a couple of times I remember I had to speak to mum because the police had arrived at home. We'd had a bit of a gathering after school footy and probably 30 or 40 people rocked up in this little unit yep. and um, and it was early so it was like 7 o'clock in the after evening and yep. the police rocked up and I'm like the next morning to mum this has happened and mum said well you've got to take the consequences go and talk to the neighbours apologise that's your responsibility yep. um, and I look back and go <laughs> uh, when I was drinking I would be a different person talking to people on Saturday than when I saw them at school on Monday. Yeah, right. Yep. yep. So there was a, a group of potentially cool kids. I could talk to them on Saturday, but on Monday I would completely just 
not even be able to say boo. You'd go back into your shell. Yeah. 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 Did you find though that the after effects of, of alcohol, like being hung over and things like that, did that increase your anxiety at all sort of afterwards? Not or? at that age. Yep. I don't think I knew what it was at that age. Yeah. Yep. yep. And it was, recognize it. And I suppose when I look back, I had some periods of time, and I know I've used the word look back a few times, but when I look, when I do look back, there's some times where I hit hit it really hard with weekends and stuff yep. at that age. And then there was a period of time where I didn't. So there was a bit of binge drinking as a, a young adolescent. And then I suppose that, that petted out for a little bit as I got into that 17, 18 year old. Yep. Uh, and then the, the drinking changed formation by the time I got into my twenties. Yep. yep. So you say that 17, 18 year old, did you, you sort of stopped, you didn't really have much through that time, did you? Or? Yeah, I've, I had really good support network. Even though I was work, living independent, I had a, um, a, a family, um, that, that in Olveston and in Avril Flewellen, which really, you know, they, they sort of, they nurtured me for a few years. Yep. And I suppose with their influence, I was doing other stuff. So uh, going up to Cradle Mountain, seeing the wilderness, rather than sitting in um, by myself or with, with friends in that, yep. that area. Yep. As well, I sort of didn't have a huge social network yep. at that age. I had a couple of friends but the ones that were probably getting into the partying at that age, I was done with that. Yep. And I was more about, I suppose I was being content just being me. Yeah, right. Yep. yep. Just sort of living it your way and, and doing your thing. Yeah. Yeah. And and obviously, like I said to you, like a big part of your story um, it revolves around alcohol and, and how you've got out of it. But just tell us, t- take us through the next few years and obviously it became a really big part of your life, didn't it? Yeah. So alcohol to me when I was... It was something that I always had in my hand. I was I wasn't a huge binge drinker. Yep. So uh, my wife and I got together when we were nineteen twenty. Yep. That's when we first got together. Yep. And through the first, we, we had a pretty. I look back and go, it's you know we we were living on bugger all money. Yep. But I found that if I was at a party or a social event, or it was a weekend. I would need a beer in my hand. Yep. Yep. Were you sort of nervous going to that event? Was it more that social anxiety type thing? Or? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I I would need to have a primer before being in a social environment. Yep. I struggled with the anxiety and I also struggled just to think how to communicate to people right. without a beer in my hand. Yep. And you found that having having that alcohol sort of gave you the, the tools to communicate with people? Yeah, liberating yep. was probably the word I would have used. Yep, yep. yep. And how was your, your mental health through that time, would you say, now that you look back? Yeah, up and down. Yep. There was periods where I, I was lonely, not because of my partner or anything like that, but I was just lonely. I couldn't work myself out. I used to work night fill, so I would finish night fill and I'd come home and I'd have to have four or five beers before yep. bed. Yep. And it wasn't a social environment. It was by myself. Yep. And I, I don't say alcohol to me was always like that. It grew more the older I got. Yep. But the older I got to, the more depression that I felt. Okay. Yep. And do you think, was that because of like things that had festered from, from your past? Or was it sort of a natural thing? Or do you think the alcohol was actually contributing to that? I think a lot of it was the past. Yep. It was the built up of potentially responsibility 
at a young age that I felt or the, the pressure I felt. I also think that it was a, a rejection piece in my life. I felt, you know, sometimes I felt rejected and that, that really plagued me. Yep. And made me think I was less or I was less a person because of it. Yep. And I think that's why I've always also been a people pleaser. Right, okay. Yep. Yep. Which can be dangerous too, can't it? Very dangerous. Yeah. Yep. You've got to sort of focus on number one before you can help other people, don't you? And it probably has taken me 40 years to realise that. Yep. As long as you realise it eventually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's better than going through your whole life that way. Yeah, yeah. Yep. How scary is it in this day and age how much we rely on modern technology? It's not till your phone dies or the Wi-Fi or power goes off that you realise you'd be lost without it. Well, recently, my phone decided in its old age to die and stop charging, and on a weekend, no less. So what do you do? Rather than waiting to speak to the network providers or retail outlets, which can be painful within itself, give Brad or Katie a call at Greenies Apple Repairs. That's what I did, and they had my old phone as good as new in hours. Greenies take care of iPhones, iPods, iPads, and pretty much everything else, and they won't cost you an arm and a leg. So next time you're stuck back in the dark ages with no technology, contact Greenies Apple Repairs on 0401 229-220 or you can contact them at www.greeniesrepairs.com.au or find them on Facebook. Now just to get onto this busted screen. It's funny that you say though about um, you know, your responsibility that you had um, as a young person. I remember you were saying there before your panic attacks were a lot of the time attributed to um, fear of letting people down obviously you did have such responsibility you felt that you know you can't let people down so that's a pretty heavy burden for someone to carry at such a young age isn't it like being depended on in that way yeah and that's that's how I felt and that's no one's fault so that's just life circumstances yep Uh, the the I suppose the men that were in my mother's life weren't overly dependable uh, and at many stages in life, I was that father figure to my, my sister. Yep. Um, plus, you know, had to be that man in the house, yep. so to speak. Yep. And you said, like, later on you sort of felt rejected. Was there any particular event that, like, you did feel rejected from? Or was it just something that was just <sighs> yeah, irrational? Or? No, I, I pinpointed a couple of things on it, Brendan. So I actually didn't meet my real father until I was 12. Right. So I didn't know he existed. I had a totally different last name um, and I grew up with a sense that I wasn't in the right family. Right. So I grew up um, knowing that my stepfather, which was my stepfather, but was always told to be my father, was not my real father. And I, I knew that for some reason. And when I finally asked the question, who's my real father, my mum told me, and there was a bit of feeling of rejection there because obviously there was this man out there who was my father but never looked for me. That's yep. how it felt. Yep. Not that's how it was. Yep. That's a perception. And in that process, the person who I always thought was my father said to me, do you want to meet this bloke? And I said, yes. So he just shut the door on me and that was it. That okay. was the end. So I go, you know, as, as a male figure in your life, I think that's impacted me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how did it go when you did meet your your biological friend? <laughs> so, I was twelve. I was just hitting grade six. Yep. And he, 
uh, we've got a really good relationship now. It's taken, it took a long time to get a really good relationship. Yep. Um, but he lived in Queensland and had moved back to Tassie six months before. Anyway, my dad isn't exactly the most prompt person. He's generally late by an hour or two. Yep. And so my mother organized for, for me to meet him and he was coming to our house. And so I'm a nerd. I'm a wreck. Mm. Who is this bloke? What do I do? Do I hug him? Do I shake his hand? Yep. Do I act all cool? Yeah. How do I, <laughs> how does this, how is this going? Anyway, it, it was like an hour and a half and he hadn't turned up yet. And I'm like, oh, he's not going to turn up. Yep. He's, he's definitely not going to come. Anyway, I hear this diesel truck. So it was an old patrol mm. come yep. up and mum goes, oh, he's here. And I still remember my heart sunk and I'm like, what's this going to be like? I have no idea. So he walked in and the first thing I did was I just wrapped my arms around him. I just big, burly, six foot two, like in here I am like the, sh- the short, I got my mum's jeans, I'm quite short. <laughs> so I've just wrapped it, my arms around him just, and I just gave him this cuddle and I didn't let him go. And he, he turned around and he goes, yeah, I'm sorry I'm late. I sort of, I couldn't find the address, but I brought you some chocolate. And he handed me this chocolate, but it was only half there. <laughs> he said, I got a bit hungry, but I couldn't. I reckon he was a bit nervous himself and got a bit of a sugar hit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, you've probably got his genetics. So he probably was a little bit nervous. <laughs> yeah, I reckon. Yeah. And so over, over time then, how did you build that relationship with him? What, what happened over the next few years? Yeah. There was a bit of tragedy that brought us together, but... So over the next four or five years, growing up as a teenager, I got to spend a little bit of time with him. Yeah. Uh, mainly shooting, or um, yeah, it was probably the the most I remember is going out shooting with him up at the lakes with him and his brothers. Yeah. Um, so did he move back here? Did he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. He he was living in Launceston and then sort of uh, found himself in Ryanair and then back into Olveston working. Yeah. Um, so I spent a bit of time shooting with him and, and going up to his, his properties on, on the every second weekend yep. and spending a lot of time with his, um, his, um, I, I suppose he, the, when he came over, he had a, a family come with him. He had a partner and she had, um, two boys and sorry, three boys and, and a girl. Yeah. Um, we, our, our relationship was a little bit strained. It yep. always was a bit strained. Um, unfortunately, there was there was a death in the family uh, when I was twenty, um, which really shocked and rocked. And even though we weren't really talking, I knew I had to be there. Yep. So I was there for him. And even probably for the next ten years, we had fallings ins ins and outs, and just our both being uh, both being not arrogant, but we were both clashing yep. a little bit. Yep. I think it really hit in the 30s, my 30s. Um, when when I was having my first son, I, I just rang him and said, hey, you've got an opportunity to be a granddad. Let's just let's just move on. Yep. And we did. And we really, over the last 12, 14 years, have got to know each other a lot better, yep. which has been great. How, um, how has he been through your alcohol um, problems and stuff? Did you ever sort of talk to him about those at all? Or has he supported you to... Yeah, oh, he does. He's, yeah. um, I, I've spoken to him about it. I don't speak a lot to him about some of the con- things that brought it on because he doesn't need to... I feel like he doesn't need to know that stuff. Yeah. But we, we sat down even yesterday and I said, oh, it's been, you know, 2014 since I last had a drink or yeah. a cigarette. And he goes wow well done that that's old school 
He's just old school. Yeah. 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 Sometimes they're a bit harder to talk to. It doesn't yeah. mean they don't care, but no, they don't no. come from that background of, you know, doing what we're doing, yep. sort of sitting down and 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 he didn't have an easy life. His dad passed away when he was five. Right. So, you know, he his brother sort of brought him up. Yeah. Um, and there's been some tragedies throughout his life that's you know, that's impacted him greatly as well. Yeah. Yep. And obviously through your time drinking and things like that, so like you said, you you met your wife, you started a family and things like that, but you still felt that need to drink. You sort of still couldn't sort of fill that void with anything else at the time? No, no, it was... If I was gardening, I had a beer in my hand. Yep. Yep. If I was watching the footy, I had a beer in my hand. Yep. Yep. If I, if I was at a social engagement, I'd have a beer in my hand. And that's not to say that every time I had a beer in my hand, I had to be drunk, because that's not... No, but I always had to have that comfort mm-hmm. of a beer in my hand. So the old, uh, it's twelve o'clock on a Saturday, crack one. Yep. That was, that was who I was. Yeah. And that that was probably that's probably the best way to put it. That's who I was. Yeah. To me. Yeah. It's funny. It now becomes your identity. I'm going to talk to you about that in in a second as well. But there's a big thing with with any sort of addiction. Like it, it always tends to take away more than it actually gives to you. Do you look back? through that time um, with your kids and, and your wife did it sort of affect them in any ways do you think now that you look back or I know your kids were probably quite young yeah you, they were you really up. young so um, my youngest doesn't even recall that yep. um, I do I think I think it affected my relationship with my wife um, and you know we've touched base on that previously and she's she's an absolute strong gun I think in your um, podcast with Nick the other day, you used the word queen, and, yep. and I would have to say that that's what she is too. Yep. Um, not just at home, but in the community for what she does. Yep. But I also know how many relationships it affected outside those ones. So, you know, I lost I lost some really good friends due to to, to the drink. Yep. Um, just from stupid behaviours. Yeah. Or not even just stupid behaviours. My own guilt so I could say something while I was drinking thinking it off the cuff and part of that come down if you've had too many the next day that that conversation would sit in my head for two days wow and I would go what did I do did I did I offend them did I did I make did I make a fool of myself have I wrecked the relationship yeah and that also inhibits you because you 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 think you've wrecked a relationship when you may not have. Yeah. Or it could have been something that they totally didn't even think about. Yeah. Um, but there was there were some critical relationships I did did completely damage. Yeah. So just talking about those ones with, with the come down, did you did you actually distance yourself from those people because you didn't want to? You thought you might have upset them, or you yep. thought you might have offended them. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Or just just from inside me feeling that I've done something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And did you, so you said that there were some critical ones too. Did, did some people sort of move away from you for particular reasons? They made they made the choice. Yeah, I probably can't answer that because I didn't have a huge social network. Okay. Yeah. I've always been someone that has, you know, we've all got mates, but I never had a real close knit group of friends. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I I know a couple did move away, and that was purely because of the, my actions that yep. I did while I was an influence of alcohol yeah um, and I know it burnt some some family relations as well yeah at some periods are you are you comfortable elaborating on your actions did you get aggro with people did you no I, I just um, 
I, I lost a friend because I was really close with just because I thought I was being stupid around his partner and it was not appropriate. Okay. Yep, totally not appropriate. Cross the line. Yep, cross the line. Absolutely. And that one really hurt. That really, I, I really hurt for, for not just days or weeks, months after that. Yep. 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 That just, yeah, that crucified me. I crucified myself because of it. Yep. Yep. Uh, I've taken out of when I was drinking that I did exhibit some really poor decision making and behaviours. And, you know, I, I can laugh about it. I go, geez, how did my wife put up with me for so, so long? <laughs> I was going to say to you too, like obviously your your wife supported you through that time. Did she see alcohol as a problem? Did she talk to you oh, about it? And absolutely. And even yeah. in the last, probably the last eight years of drinking, let's just say, yeah, probably eight six years, we always had continued conversations about it. Yeah. And I probably instigate some of them. Yeah. Uh, and I would try. I would really try to give up. Yeah. Like, I would go, I'd go to work and go, I'm not going to have a beer tonight. And I knew as soon as I said that to myself. I'd be, at, I'd be at the bottle shop on the way home getting a six pack yeah right yeah. and again it wouldn't be like sitting down having a, a carton of beer it would be just having that beer in my hand yep yep so it would be four or five yep yep and did you feel like you'd sort of failed then did you feel oh, that sense of failure absolutely that, yep yeah dejected yep. yep and it was not just the beer it would be the packet of cigarettes as well yep yep so you said you instigated those um, conversations. So you obviously, you, you wanted to, to move past it, but at what point did you realise that it wasn't healthy what you were doing, that you needed to, to um, make a change? I, I knew it wasn't. There's, there's two big factors that brought, brought me to that factor. The yep. first one was when I was 31. It was um, Good Friday, and I'm it's about 5 o'clock in the morning, and I turned around to, to my wife, Kel, and I said, hey, think I'm having a heart attack right. she said what I said I think I'm having a heart attack and she goes don't be silly go out and have a glass of coke and burp it up thinking it was just indigestion, <laughs> indigestion. <laughs> and I, 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 I sat there and I went no nah, I'm going to take myself to the hospital why I did that I don't know but I, I drove out to the hospital and I got out there and I, I said to the nurse at triage I said I think I'm having a heart attack and she said, okay, sit down. We'll get someone to come and have a look at you. Can you describe your symptoms? You had the tight chest. And tight chest. My arm had gone numb. Yep. Um, and to preface this, I, I just lost an uncle who was probably one of my, my closest um, friends ever. He died of a heart, an aneurysm in his heart yep. a few years before. Um, I was sweaty, clammy. My chest, I just couldn't get a breath in. My heart felt really stiff. Yep. So you hadn't been drinking the night before or anything? Oh, like I probably that? would have had four or five, oh, okay. but nothing yep. major. It nothing wasn't massive. like a, nothing major. It was just, just what I'd call a standard night, you know, yep. five or six beers. Yep. And the I get out there and she said, okay, we're going to put you on the ECG. And she did. And she walked away and she come back and she goes, um, Mr. Gossage, I'm sorry to tell you, but you've had a heart attack. And I just bawled. My eyes, I just... The tears, the emotion was like, what have I done? What, yep. Where am I? 30's quite young to be having a heart attack. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I, I rang the father-in-law and I said, hey, this, oh, in tears, I'm going, can you go home and see Kel? I've, I'm having a heart attack and they're sending me to Launceston. So they throw me into the ambo and they take me down there. And you know, you're thinking, shit, I'm only 30. What's, what's, this, what's going to do for the rest of my life? And I get down there, and I and I'm in I'm in the ward, 
and I've, I've just got time to myself. And I've, at that stage, I thought, I've got to change. And I'll talk about exactly what happened after, which was totally opposite. So I'm there, and that night I had another, had another attack, and my heart was going crazy. And they've come in and they said, it can't be a heart attack because if you'd had a heart attack, you wouldn't be having like an aftershock. Yeah. So they, they got the, the cardiologist in and they said, yep, we're going to get you checked out. So they put me, um, put me the next morning onto the, onto the die. So they sent me into the theater and mm-hmm. put the die through me and they, they've come out and they said, uh, your heart's fine. You're perfectly fine in that space. However, unfortunately you've got pericarditis. Mm-hmm. Never heard of it. And I don't think many people have until now with COVID. Mm. And I said, well, what's that? And they said, what's happened is your, your pericardium, it's a sac around your heart and you've got an infection in it and it's a severe infection. What we're concerned about now is that that could harden up. Right. And if it hardens up, Mr. Gossage, unfortunately, you're not going to make it. Mm. And I'm like, so I'm here going, well... It's nearly my time up. I'm 31. It's, it is what it is. I, there's nothing I can do about it. They kept me in um, cardiology for about seven days and sent me home. And for the next month, I was very slow, took my time, got recovered, went to my tests, everything like that was really good. Got some really good support around home and, and was doing well. And at some stage over the next... I, and I couldn't tell you when now, three months, something flicked. I picked up a cigarette. Right. And then I picked up a beer. Yep. And, and I'm assuming the doctors would have asked you about your diet and your yeah, lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. And and doctor, you that, that wasn't helping. Cardiologist said, um, if, if I catch you with a cigarette in your, life, in, your, in your mouth ever in your life again, I will never, yep. ever operate on you. Yeah. Which is valid. And I went harder. I, 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 I actually smoked harder and I reckon I drank harder after that episode yep and I think it's because I was absolutely depressed and absolutely shattered with what had happened and I was angry and yep. that just put me in a cataclysmic you know course of drinking and and cigarettes again do you think there was an element of what's well, going to happen we might as well get it over and done with sort of thing or no I think it was more I was just I was pissed yeah yeah and I don't know why I was angry with the whole scenario just really angry yep and i continued to drink and smoke and I, as i said i probably smoked heavier and i and i was drinking heavier then yeah um and not to the point of i had to get up in the morning and have a drink never i was never that that way or but i'd come home and i'd have to have i'd have to have a beer in my hand yeah yeah, and obviously your wife has, would have supported you through the, the heart issues and things like that how did she handle you yeah, I don't think she was overly impressed. I don't reckon. No, no. <laughs> I, I, I got to, I got and I, you can say it, but I say I, I got to keep it because she, she has stuck by me very <laughs> thick and thin, mate. She has, She's a good and bother sound, I think. She is, absolutely. Yeah. This episode of the pod would not be possible without the support of Sam and the team at Infinite Joinery and Design. If you're like me and normally need these guys to come in after you stuff up your latest home renovation, here's an idea. Get them in first and save the hassle. Specialising in new home joinery fit-outs, renovations, kitchens, laundries, wardrobes, vanities and solid timber work and project management, Infinite have 3D design software and Sam alone has over 20 years experience in joinery and project management. He knows his stuff. 
Located at 6 Bay Drive, Coiba, where you can find them on Facebook and Instagram or contact Sam at 0429 291 008 where you can email Sam at infinitejoineryanddesign.com. So don't be like me, get the experts in first and save yourself some money and a fear stressing down from the better half. So at the age of 34 is when you decided to give it up for yep. good. So in between then, you just went back to your old ways, obviously, for three or four years, yep. just drinking and stuff like that. What was the turning point? Or were there, were there a couple of little turning points for you? So I'd been, I'd been talking about it really hard for about six months about not drinking. So trying to get through a couple of days, not having a drink or the whole process we talked about earlier, waking up in the morning going, I'm not going to have a drink tonight. I'm not going to have it. And it just, nothing was happening. Yep. And I got up one day and Kel looked at me and she goes, is that how many beers you had last night? And I looked over on the bench and I counted them, there were 17. And that was that was a turning point. And I don't know why, both boys were there. I remember it was a sunny morning and she says, is that how many beers you had last night? And the boys were there and it, was, it wasn't a social occasion. It was just me just drinking. Yep. And I just went, there's something wrong with me there is something wrong with me for me to be sitting here without a hangover and having 17 beers last night. What, what am I doing? You're coming immune to it. Yeah, I was. And we were going down to the East coast. So I was on holidays and it was a year that, um, South Sydney won their first premiership for eight years, 2014. So we're down there watching, it was, it was in October. We're watching the final and something just clicked in me and I just turned around to Kel and said, I need help. I really need help. I'm, I'm lost. I'm lonely, and I, I and I'm letting everyone down. I've broken. I'm broken. I am just so broken. And she said, "Okay, time to go and see a doctor." Yeah. And I said, "Yep." So and I said, "I just need you to come with me. Can you please come with me?" So she came with me, and we went and saw the doctor when we got back from that trip. And I just let it out. You know, this is who I am, and he he put me onto. Uh, an antidepressant um, and obviously not just counselling but see a, um, a psychiatrist yep. to, to talk through what's happening in the, and a psychologist yep. and and that was the 9th of October 2014 and I, I, I said to myself that day I'm not doing this again I am not doing this again I, I've failed enough and I don't want to fail anymore yeah and it's funny you say that, that your doctor put you on um, on antidepressants and stuff. Obviously, mental health was playing a big big toll around that time as well. I know that you said before that you know you had your your anxiety. Was it? Did you feel like the alcohol was sort of masking something else, or was it just more of a habitual thing there for a while? Like it was just I, what you did. I think it's both. Yep. I really think I was it was a, a habitual drinker. Yep. Because it was something that I it was just me, and it was masking. The, the real conversations that I needed to have about what's happening in my brain. Yep. Yep. So those those beers, those 17 beers, are the last ones that you, you yep. had, is that right? Yes. Yep. Yep. So you had a few goes at giving up, so, but obviously just giving up cold turkey worked for you because I've heard a lot of people that that doesn't work for them. It's Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And Same with the smokes too. You yep. gave them up the same exact day. Exact same day. Yep. Gave up cigarettes and, and alcohol and, and, and haven't had either since. Yep. Um, but yeah, and, and I've, I've had this conversation with a lot of people about, you know, what worked for me, not necessarily worked for them mm. because w- the way where I was in my headspace at the time is different to where other people are. Yeah. 
But the thing that I say to, to people when they do reach out and ask, and I say, you've got to make the decision. No one else. As much as I could turn around and say, I did it for my family, that's not true. I did yep. it for me. Yep. Yeah. You've got to want to do it yourself. Yep. Yeah. And I think, you know, you turning around to your wife saying, you know, I've got a problem, I need, I need help, that's the first step, isn't it? It's admitting it and then putting the steps in place. Um, obviously, Australia's got such a big drinking culture. Like, it's, it's what we do, and, you know, we can't wait to turn, well, 15, 16, whatever, but, you know, legally 18 because we can go out to the pubs and have a beer and that sort of thing. It's such a massive thing. How did you find... I suppose talking to your, your network saying, I don't drink anymore, or when you did go out, I don't drink. Did you find that you were, you were a bit, it was a bit awkward, or did, how did that uh, So, I, there's a couple of really good things that happened, and the first one was I had a poker crew at the time, yep. so we used to have poker night, and poker night was a Friday night, four slabs, you know, pizzas from herbs, and away you go. Yep. And the first night we had poker after that was actually we were flying to Melbourne. To, to go and watch um, Colton and Collingwood play at the MCG, stay at a friend's house, um, play poker. Uh, and we got off the plane, and before we went to his house, we stopped at Dan Murphy's. Yep. This was after you'd been to the doctors uh, and yep. everything? Every, had you told the guys? Yeah, they knew that I wasn't drinking. Right. But, yep. but to me, I always said, if someone wants a drink, they want to drink. It's not me. It's not my place to tell someone they shouldn't drink or smoke. That's yep. their choice. And I'm standing in Dan Murphy's, and they're going to get their drinks, and I, and I just, I just had this shiver in my back, and I'm like, I felt like I almost, I almost went and got something. Right. I was just, and my friend Marty was with me. He turned around, he goes, "You want a drink, don't you?" And I said, "No, I don't." He goes, "Are you okay?" And I looked at him, and I, yeah, I'm fine now, thanks. And I walked out and jumped back in the car. Yep. You just needed to have your moment. And yeah, then, and yep. and I needed him to say, "Are you okay?" and yeah, because yep. he would have kicked my backside if I'd got one. Yeah, so I know that. Yeah, but um, that's probably the last time that I felt like I wanted. I wanted to drink. Yeah, yeah. And how important do you think you said that he would have kicked your ass? How important have you found the support network and their encouragement? I know you know ninety five percent of it is you. Yeah. But how big a part does your network play in giving up these things? Yeah, a huge a huge part. And what's really interesting is that. What I've found over the years is people will take it different ways. But I've never known someone to stand there, you know, whether I've been standing at a pub or in a restaurant um, and they've offered me a drink. I've said, no, thanks, I don't drink. I don't recall anyone taking the piss out of me for it. Mm -hmm. And that to me, and that's over eight years, that to me I think is there is an acceptance now in culture that if you don't want to drink, you don't have to have a drink. Yeah. Now, I think 20 years ago, it would have, you've been taking the mickey out if you were mm. at a footy club or yeah. something and you didn't have a beer in your hand. You're weak as piss. Yeah. 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 But I, I can honestly say not one person has ever had, you know, taken the piss out of me because of it. Yeah. And that's important, I think, for people to hear because obviously you know, different people listen to this that are going through different problems and it's one of the, the reasons why I like to get different people on one of the reasons I was so keen to get you on because there's probably people sitting back there thinking, my God, what will my mates think and what will people think if I don't drink? So it's really handy for, to hear that from you, to know that you, know, you were never ostracised or people never looked at you like you were any different. It's just, you know, this is still gosso, he just doesn't drink. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think another thing that people worry about too, especially people who 
uh, I don't want to say dependent, but they rely on alcohol when they go out and to functions and things like that, is that they can't have a good time without alcohol. What's your experience been with that? Um, so, yeah, I, I, I would say I've had mixed experiences. Yep. I, I still struggle in some social environments. Put me in front of a thousand people to, to have a chat. I'm happy to do it. Yep. Put me up on a diocese to talk to, to yep. a group of people, comfortable. Put me in a social setting at a, a barbecue and I still have anxiety. Wow. Okay. Yep. And that, but I recognize it now. Yeah. Yep. I had one really big hit once where we had to go to a 40th and I couldn't even get out of the car. I felt so bad. Um, it wasn't even one of my friends, it was, it was Kel's friend. And, you know, I, I, my anxiety just hit me so hard. Mm-hmm. And I had to go back and go, I need to talk back to the doctor again. Yeah. Because that's not right. Yeah. And yeah, I was going to say to you. So, what what are things like now as far as your anxiety and your and your mental health? Do you still have your good and bad days, or have you found that giving up the grog has, has helped in that area? So, yeah, absolutely. Um, I had a really good run of six or so years without too many issues when it came to to my mental health or what I thought was my mental health. Um, I have found myself struggling a little bit over the last twelve months, yep. and that's more to do with I think it's more to do with how I'm reacting to certain circumstances in life. Yeah. But if I was drinking, it would be a lot worse. Yeah. So I know that if I had that crutch, as much as it would make me feel better, it would actually make things a lot worse. Yeah. And another thing that, that I heard you say, because I actually listened to your interview with, with Brian Lyon. Shout out to Brian. If anyone wants to listen to a, a decent podcast, listen to the Everyday Lines Running podcast. But I stole all his questions. But one thing that um, that you said on there, which I think is really important also for people to hear, is that it hasn't changed you as a person giving up alcohol because I think that might be another fear that people have got is they're known as the good time bloke and the one who's, you know, pissed at the bar and makes everyone laugh and all that sort of thing. But your experience, it, it hasn't changed you I, or your It actually reverse. I think I've got a better network now. Oh, I know. I've got a huge network. So if we were if we were to meet nine, ten years ago, the, the conversation wouldn't be about Gosso in the same way, absolutely. But also the people that my network that spoke to you wouldn't be there yeah so i found um and especially through community through through running and through a few other things that i'm actually i suppose i'm a better me yep. out in that space and yes i do still have some anxiety and and i'm still battling some of my demons but as a whole i'm i'm, I'm a far better person yeah i'm still me i'm still excuse the french but i can still be an asshole i can still be aggro yep um, I can still be the cranky person, but you're still a dad. I'm still after a dad. All. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, and I, I still got, and I still fail. Like yeah. you know, a lot of people think that if you give up drinking, you're potentially a martyr, or you know, you become a saint. But when when it all said and done, I'm still the same person, like you said, um, just a better version. Yeah. And obviously to anyone who is listening to this that's having their own dramas and things like that, what advice would you give to them? Or what would be the... If you're sitting them down now and they said, gosh, I need help, I'm struggling, what would what would you say to them? Uh, I think the first thing I would say is, uh, well done for, for acknowledging it. That it, if you can't acknowledge it... And it was interesting, I was listening to a podcast the other day, Smartless, and one of them said, I feel felt like I've been a little bit depressed. 
and or I'm, I've got depression. And one of the other gentlemen in the podcast said, no, you'd know if you're depressed. Well, no, you don't. But once you put a name to it and you actually talk to it, then you can see it a bit clearer. Yep. And that's what I felt. And that's what I would say to anyone who's potentially thinking that, hey, this has got a grip on me, is firstly admit it to yourself. And there's so many, so much help out there nowadays to talk. And, and doctors and psychiatrists and counsellors and your own network are so critical. Don't mm-hmm. do it by yourself. Yep. And if you can pinpoint, do you have a theory on why a lot of people don't get help? Is there anything in particular that you think stops people? I, I don't think there's one thing. Yep. I really don't. It's different personalities. Different, different personalities. Thing. And again, coming from that side of where I was is completely different to um, someone who potentially drinks or binge drinks. And it's so for me to, to sit here and go, is there one thing to stop people? No. People know there's help out there now, and a lot of people still don't recognise that. Yeah. So we just talked about a whole heap of places that you can go, but if you don't know how to get there, mm. that can be a barrier. Yep. But in the end, the biggest barrier I think for myself was myself. Until I acknowledged it, until I said, I've got a problem and I need help, um, nothing was going to change. None of the morning conversations about I'm not going to drink tonight or, you know, the three days I'm going to not drink for three days. None of that really mattered because I didn't, I wasn't truthful to myself and say, I have a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And if we had a beer here now, do you still crave a beer? Do you still, do you still ever, do you still think, gee, I used to love that feeling or anything like that? No, absolutely not. And that's, it's like the zero, there's a lot of zero alcohol things out there now. And personally, I, I've got a strong opinion that I don't, I don't agree with them because I think they're a gateway. And I I don't, I hate seeing them at Woolworths. But I could sit here and you could have three or four beers. I could sit here and drink my soda water and I would be quite content with that absolutely content and the yep. conversation would still roll and I wouldn't be here thinking geez I missed that because mm. I don't yeah I really don't yeah excellent and you spoke before about you you're running and obviously you know you filled the void with them um, with different things as well so obviously most people now would know you through park run and through your running and things like that so tell me how you got into that and how big a part that plays in your life now yeah so uh, a fair few years ago now it feels like I'm getting older too quick. Um, <laughs> Happens but to us all, mate. <laughs> there was a thing that started up in Devonport called Parkrun. Yep. So uh, a great bloke by the name of Ben Brockman, um, who's a exercise physiologist down at um, Physio Taz. Yep. Um, he helped drive um, with a couple of ladies like Jodie Clark and Ange Timmon to bring Parkrun. Yep. And I'd never heard of it. wasn't even on my radar. And, and a, a friend said, hey, do you want to come down? I was walking the other day, Saturday morning, and these people were running up and down the road. I went, okay, yeah, why not? I'll come down. And I thought, I better go out for a run, see how I feel first. So yep. I went out for a 3K run one morning, stupidly, and... <laughs> blew up. I, I blew up big time. <laughs> I was coughing and harking and carrying on. Yeah. Um, but I went... So this is a few years after I'd given up too. So it wasn't like I'd given up drinking and then I started running. Yeah, there was there's actually going to be a runner the next day. <laughs> there, was, there was an extended period there of, yep. you know, of doing other things. Uh, and I went down the park run with um, Kel and the boys and, and, and did it and got over the finish line. Oh, oh my God, this feels awesome. 
there's a euphoria. Yep. There was this high, not just about finishing the run, and but the people around were all like, hey, hey, well done, great job. Yep. Everyone was talking to each other. And I thought, this is all right. I, I'm going to come back to this. And so I started coming weekly and I was getting a bit quicker and a bit quicker. Mm-hmm. And then I was throwing a, a run in. Oh, I might go for a run on Wednesday night. Yep. See how I feel. Yep. And then it sort of started to snowball. I found a um, group called Tasmanian uh, Tassie Roadrunners. Yep. So Tasmanian Roadrunners. And yep. I joined them. I thought, oh, this, you know, if this network's as good as Parkrun. As I joined them, my, my times were getting quicker and I was starting to do a few longer runs. And they did a thing called Make Me a Marathoner. Yep. And I went, jeez, oh, I reckon I could do that, you know. I'm going to have a crack. Yep. So I, I applied for Make Me a Marathoner, um, which at the moment is actually still out the, the next season for that, for the marathons next um, at the Cabri Marathon that they're taking in quest for that now. Yep. But Is that a 26K <laughs> or is it the full 40, marathon? 40, so 42. 42. 42.2. Okay. Yep. So I, I'm like, yeah, I can have a crack at that. So... I put my name in and I was successful. I got what's called a golden ticket and they give you a full program. During this time, running started to explode in Devonport. So Park mm. Run had been really successful. They were getting between two and 250 people a week. There was actually an appetite in Devonport for a social, a bigger social running scene. Mm-hmm. And uh, a great friend, um, Beck de Groot, um, she was working with a sister on this thing called uh, Run Four Hour at the mm-hmm. time, and they did a Run Four Hour Run Club on a Wednesday night. So all of a sudden, we had a run on Saturday morning. We had a run on Wednesday night. Uh, we started looking, and there was a run started up on a Sunday, and then someone was doing a run Friday, and then I created Friday Fresh on a Friday morning from Fundamentals. Mm-hmm. So there was four or five runs that people could go to. Yep, and they there was no competition. You didn't have to race anyone you Mm. didn't have to beat anyone it was all about you know building the community and and what was really good about it is you'd have people like the Warwicks that are in their 70s to Bryce Chilcott who was 10 Mm. and they'd all be there running together no one was going hey I beat you or you know you came last yep that, that whole competitiveness was not there. Yep. And is that why you think it's exploded, this thing? Because it's, yeah, it's not a competitive thing anymore. It's more of a social thing. It's, you know, let, let's just go for a run and see how we go. And you're only competing against yourself, basically. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I really do. And I think that's where Parkrun has such... Um, I think Parkrun in Australia, especially, for because um, I've been involved with doing um, Parkrun for five years, is it helped me. And I've seen so many other people in, in Devonport that it's helped whether it be lose weight, get fitter, um, change of social scenes, yep. so different different network of people. Yep. And you see that a thousand times over in Australia and you go, for a free run, 5K timed every Saturday morning, what else could you ask for? Mm. And if you know, you know, it's a social thing and you know who's going to be there and it's all about, you know, catching up with the same people. And again, you've got that motivation, haven't you, rather than just getting up on a cold winter morning and going for a run on your own on some back road. Exactly. You've got that social side of it as well. And I, I sort of stepped out over the last 12 months with work and sport, especially with the boys' sport. I sort of didn't get back to park run a lot yep. for the last 12 months. I, I've really got back into it for the last four or five weeks. Not all the same people are there. But the same spirit is there. Yeah. So you still feel that community spirit, even though, you know, 20 people that I may have um, socialized with 12, 18 months ago, two years or 
pre-COVID yep. may not be there now. That feel of community is still there, and that, yep. and that that to me that's gold. That's a nugget. Yeah. You, 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 if you could just bottle that up, yep. the world would be a better place. Absolutely. And it's interesting that you say that because one question that I did want to ask is you, you've talked about um, a lot of your mental issues and things revolve back to um, rejection. Have you found that that's why Park Run's been really good to you because you belong somewhere and you feel part of a group and yep. that a- sort of thing? Absolutely. Yep. And again, it's that community spirit that I love. And for me, it was almost how could I put it when when I started to run and started to get into these communities I did start creating a new identity for myself mm-hmm. so a lot of these people have become lifelong friends now that I, I didn't have previously and I might not see some of them for six months but we'll pick up a conversation to me it was helping create a bigger better me mm-hmm but at the same time, it was drawing stuff away from my family. Yeah. And that is something that took me a while to realise is that it was becoming a, probably a little bit of an addiction. Right. Okay. So yep. it was funny because I look at it and go, I'm looking after myself, I'm healthy. But if I want to run an, a 64-kilometre race, which I've done, that's eight to ten hours a week I've got to train. Mm, yeah. So all of a sudden, that's chewing up a huge amount of my time. Mm. So I understand I, there's got to be a balance as well yep yeah you're still a family man at the same time aren't you yeah you've yeah. got to find that balance you've got family work and then i had running at the same time yep. yeah um just quickly for anyone that wants to get into park run how do they go about it yeah so devonport actually we just created sorry a long latrobe one just started two weeks ago yeah well. yeah I saw that. so park run is a, a free 5k run every more every saturday morning yep in uh, devonport it's at eight o'clock at the bluff yep uh, you can go onto the Park Park Run website or Park Run Australia if you type that into Google, yep. and you can pop pop your details in, and it will give you a barcode. Yep. And when you run, you scan that barcode at the end of it, and you'll get an email which will give you your time and your place. And the great thing is that you can actually build up. So they do a fifty uh, celebration for fifty park runs or a hundred park runs, two hundred and fifty park runs. Yep. What I love is the fact that they celebrate volunteering. Okay. Because nothing yeah. like this happens without volunteers. Yeah. So if you are a part of it and you volunteer, and volunteering is pretty easy, you get to 25, they give you a purple shirt. Yep. You get to 50, you get another shirt. Fantastic, so, you get that acknowledgement. Yeah, and, yeah, and awesome. again, you're creating something. It's a free, a free event, doesn't cost you anything. Um, I always felt, I think I actually got more buzz out of volunteering down there because I'd be yelling at people, you know, <laughs> well done, you've done a great job, great yeah. great effort. You know, yeah. my voice would be hoarse probably after the 50 minutes of just talking to everyone. Just from encouraging others, yeah. yeah. Um, you talked there before about splitting the time between you, your running and your family, so just a couple of quick fire ones to finish up. What kind of dad are you? How would you describe yourself? Um, learning. Yep. Yep. Uh, I, I've... I, fatherhood to me i had this wonderful notion before i had kids of what what family was what yep. being a father was movies and are good aren't they? they're great <laughs> and what i've learned uh, over the last 14 years is i still fail and i'm still learning and i'm trying to to be a better better father every day yeah and you know i've made blunders i think we all do mm. you know we all make blunders yeah um it's how how we 
I suppose, not react, but create from that. Yeah. But that's where I'm at at the moment because I go, yeah, I'm reflecting too much at the moment, I know, but I just go, I can I be a better dad? Yes, I can. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose, like you say, we're all going to make, make mistakes, but it's how you show up. If you show up with the best of intentions and things like that and you just keep showing up, that's one thing. I can't remember where, whether I read it in a book or whether somebody said it to me as far as parenting. Just keep showing up. You know, yep. Just let them know that you're there. You know, you're going to fail. You're going to give them the wrong advice. They're going to get cranky at you. But as long as you keep showing up, they'll never leave you. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm finding that with my older one. Like, he's 14 now. Yep. So um, he's, got lo- he's had lots of challenges in his life with um, surgeries and broken arms and, and lots of stuff in that space. Yep. And he, the most crankiest person to me in my life, but as soon as he needs, you know, help, mm. he's on the blower to us. Yeah, you and, create and that's a safe what, space for him. That's what you want. You yep. want, you know, long term that they, that they feel comfortable to give you a call. Yep. Um, have you got a parenting tip for people or have you just spoken about it? I think I just spoke about it. Um, yeah, I, I think, to be honest, my biggest tip is experience it. So I, I've really gone on this since COVID. I've gone on this massive journey of making sure that I give the boys experiences. Yeah. So it's all about let's go to the footy. Mm. Let's let's go. You know, if, if we can afford it, let's go to a concert. Let's get out and experience stuff in life. Yeah. Because pre-COVID, I was probably more material with the boys, mm. but now I realise that it's those memories that you know. At least when they're having a crack at me when they're older, I can pull out the book and go, hey, do you remember when Dad took you to your first footy match? Yeah. Yeah, have remember that. Yeah, rather than that iPad you bought them when they yeah. were 14 that's long gone, it's at the tip now. Like, exactly. Yeah, You've yep. got something tangible there to pull out, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> um, what's your best piece of advice you've been given over the journey and who would you say it came from? I don't know who this one come from, but there's something that's got me through some of the dark times is and and i use this a lot through my management and and when i'm having conversations with people is there's three things three things you got to look for in life so you've got to have something to do something to look forward to and something to love and those three things and i look at it and go when i'm in my darkest i always look forward to to, i've got to find something i'm looking forward to yep i gotta look forward to to I've got to be doing something because that can be the arch enemy of anything is uh, when you you don't have anything to do and something to love and that doesn't have to be a person a partner that can be a footy team that, yep. that's something that you can focus on that, something that's, to be passionate about exactly yep. so those those are three things that I don't know who told me that and I've, I've held on to that for probably you know seven or eight years now yep. and it's something I really really believe in excellent no that's great advice mate well we'll wrap up on that because that's all the questions that i've got for you so um thanks for your time mate like obviously i really appreciate it just just quickly i knew that it was going to be a great chat like i said we we haven't actually officially met before but i was only just thinking the other day i remember um we live close to Bayard park being down here and i just remember having a chat to you one day down there it was only just a brief thing you were down there i don't know whether you were kicking the footy with your boys or something like that and i just remember walking away just thinking this bloke's so happy and he just clearly I could tell you were just love and burn a dad um, and spending time with them so like I say we have met it was only just briefly but that's why I knew um, that you had a great story and I knew the sort of person that you were and obviously these are the sort of people that you know we, we want to get on the podcast because you know you're happy and brave enough to share your story all in the hope of, of trying to help others and um like you said before reflecting on park run and the you know the community spirit and things what a, what a great world it, it creates i think 
there should be more people like you in the world as well that want to help others and I just think what a great world we'd have if it's not so much about what can I do for myself it's what can I do you know to help others as well so um, yeah again thanks for your time mate keep running (laughs) keep smashing those PBs and, and all the best with it appreciate it mate have a good day what a legend that bloke is. Such an easy bloke to talk to, and I'm sure it's no coincidence that Gosso has helped many people in many areas of their life move forward in a positive way. He's very easy to talk to and more than happy to help. Thanks, mate, for being so open about your story. It's one I'm sure plenty of people can relate to, and I think the key takeaways from it are that if you have a problem which is impacting your life in a negative way, talking about it and admitting it is the first step. Find out where to seek help and get support to move forward through it. As Gosso said, he was not even a binge drinker or someone who'd be classified as an alcoholic. He was just someone who became accustomed to always having a drink and even that was impacting his life negatively. So there might be others out there in a similar boat and I hope you take something from our chat and most importantly, take heart from the fact that it can be done and you can still have a great life moving forward. I think it's important to note for anyone out there with loved ones going through similar issues how important your help and support is too. As Gosso says, they can't do it for you, they need to want to do it for themselves, but once they get into that mindset, that's when they need you the most. Thanks for listening and go out there and find something to do, something to look forward to and something to love. Good advice. For anyone out there having their own struggles who wants to have a chat to someone, you can call Lifeline on 131114, Men's Line Australia on 1300 789978, or you can call Beyond Blue on 1300 224636.